Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, Chris Shamides. Chris, uh, a lot going on in the world of football. I know you've got your season. You might not be able to watch as much as I've been watching, but uh, it's really great stuff. I was in New York City this weekend for uh, like some high-end social. I don't know what the hell I was doing there, but it was pretty amazing. His family dropped a million bucks on a wedding. You know, you just want these kids. You're like, you know what? It's only going to last about five, six years. You're going to have a kid, and then... It's all going to go south. <laughs> but I, I hate to take one out of my playbook. Um, I was happy for the kids. It was, it was great to see them. It was a, it was a fun time. And I meant I to tell you this last week. I've never been to a million-dollar uh, million wedding. I think, uh, I, think I, I probably have. been to a couple. I was at one wedding. Um, a guy got married. He's a big CEO of a company. And he uh, got married on Ellis Island. and took everybody out uh, to Ellis Island on, on a big yacht. And then you got there and the sidewalks were lined with like bags with uh, candles in them. You walked all the way down and you're in Ellis Island, basically where all the immigrants came through. Um, and he was sort of paying homage to, uh, to his father who came through there. And he said, look, this is only in America where this could happen. Guy comes through here with nothing but a, a satchel full of, you know, clothes and me. And, and now I am the CEO of a huge company. So it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. See, I think I've been to about two or three. And this one was pretty cool. Just New York, you know? Uh, yeah. Just, just New York City. I mean, they had, they had a really great touch. We came out of the wedding, out of the uh, chapel, and they had one of those New Orleans jazz bands taking the entire wedding party from the chapel all the way to the, to the uh, hotel, which was the St. Regis. And so you know, we're going to St. Regis, 20th floor. Just mm. hundreds of people, a couple hundred people. I think there are about three hundred people at this this wedding. So it was uh, it was pretty amazing. So, and so they they and play I, and they march you to the next venue. Is that the idea? Yeah, they take you. They take you from one place to the next. So it was uh, it was very festive. And I tell you, for the first time, I've lived and I live in LA now, but twenty five years in New York, I've never seen traffic stop and them having a good time. People weren't yelling things about your mother. You know, because uh, you were blocking traffic. Everybody was clapping and beeping their horns, like in a good way, wow. getting out of the car, taking pictures. So it was like, you know, the bride and groom were walking behind the band and then the wedding party behind it. So it was, it was a good tip for all you young people who are thinking about getting married. Don't. But if you do, um, get, get one of those. It was a lot of fun. And Robert, I meant to tell you Robert this last Kraft week before I... Too. Yes. In fact, in New York City on in Friday night. Was that the wedding you were at? No, but the guy sitting next to me was the best man at his wedding. So uh, he said it was a surprise, and all their tables had um, gotten jammed up. So that was the only night available. So Robert, going to happen, but most of Robert's friends didn't know it was going to happen. It was sort of like they were just having a big party. I don't know, man. I've you know I'm a jaded divorcee, but I think why get married at a later age unless you're going to have kids? I don't know. I don't understand it. it. Seems like the balance of power is lost when you get married sometimes, and when you have a kid, you're toast. All right, welcome back to therapy with Kevin Flynn and Chris Shamides. Hey, so uh, Chris, I didn't tell you this last week before I went across uh, the country to New York. 
Uh, I'm hanging out at Wells Fargo, cashing my big over-the-ball checks. And uh, <laughs> guess who walks walks in? Christian Bale. Uh, not Christian Bale, Garrett Bale. Uh, hey, this is L.A. It could be Christian Bale. I always make that mistake. <laughs> so, And he was cashing a big check, I would imagine. He was depositing a big one. I, I think Christian Bale could do a good version of Gareth Bale. I, like I think that. he could, too. They kind of yeah. have this. Uh, they're both Welsh, I think. I think Christian Bale's Welsh. I could see him um, pulling that off. So wait, yeah. you, randomly in New York, you met him? No, no, no. In L.A. at Wells Fargo. Oh, okay. You just, just said uh, you went across country to New York. No, but before I went across country, pay oh. attention. Keep up with me. And he um, came up to you and said, oh, hey, are you hey. Kevin from Over the Ball? No, he goes, you're Kevin from Kalamazoo Kangaroos back in the 80s. I remember <laughs> you. I used to watch you as a kid. <laughs> no. no, he, uh, yeah. He you talked like, to him? Hey, yeah, I go. Hey, uh, I go. Hey, man, what's up? He goes. Eh, not much. And I go. Uh, Whale's gonna be ready. He goes. Oh yeah, we're gonna be ready. I go. Well, I hope you're not gonna be too ready. And he goes. Hey, we're gonna be ready. I'm like, all right, there it is. So, wow. Uh, I think we match up well against whales. So I, uh, I really do. I, I, I feel good about that game. Some good news this week with American players. Um, Josh Sargent scored his eighth goal. It's a good thing. I mean, he seems right. to have found his form. I mean, he's a player. Uh, like most players, I think, even really like uh, Nunez for Liverpool, you see these guys, it takes them a while to adjust to the way a team is playing, to the personnel, to to the style of play. Josh Sargent, um, I'm quite impressed with because he's playing a little differently. He's changed his game a little bit. He's thinner. He looks thinner, fitter now. He was always a little, I wouldn't say pudgy, but what would you say? Just a little like, a little meatier than than uh, than usual. So, you know, he's putting the ball in the back of the neck, uh, Ricardo Pepe is. So, you know, we talked about this last week on the show, uh, who's going to represent the, the number nine in, uh, in the World Cup. It's still up in the air. Yeah, and I know, you know, we're, uh, we're talking about Gareth Bale as well. Like, you know, that's who we have to play against. Gareth Bale is a specimen. I mean, I, I, I've been on a field with him, and I'm sure when you met him, like, he's imposing. He's physically right. a horse. You know, so that's that's not we don't really can't go apples to apples with a guy like that. But hopefully as a collective, we can do well against Wales. Yeah, he's a horse, Chris, but he's not a it's uh, not a Clydesdale. I'll tell you that he's a thoroughbred. Just his build. You can tell it's one of those guys. It's like, uh, I don't know. I used to go up against guys that were big and they didn't move as well. They were kind of too muscled up or they were just too big. You could quickly get by them. Bale seems to have that kind of lean speedster body but also he's he's built man he's he's built so i i worry um i worry about him alone because i mean i just listened to the story about you saying you watched him train and he's at a higher speed than everybody else uh, even at real madrid he was yeah uh, you know it, it's yeah. just I, I i always wonder and he never seems to have an attitude problem when he plays for wales it's always you know one of his club teams so that's the problem you know yeah and he's going to be going to go going up against potentially Aaron Long, Zimmerman, uh, and if those two are the pair, uh, those two teams, uh, Red Bull and Nashville, are out of the playoffs. They were talking about Zimmerman. He's not going to have a competitive match for five weeks. Um, so that that is a bummer. And I don't think Long is going to do it. He was ready. Then he got hurt. I don't think he's back. It's nothing against Aaron Long. Um, I, I tell you, I think you and I talked about this last week as well, but Tim Ream in the center of the park, I, I – don't see the downside there. He's going to give you a good, steady, eddy performance. Um, he won't play a bad ball out of the back. Zimmerman has been breaking lines with some of his stuff. Um, so and John Brooks, I guess, got his first start for, um, 
for Benfica this week. So, but I think he's out. I think he's out because of Greg Berhalter. Berhalter seems to have a real beat on certain players. Like either he likes them or he doesn't. Like a Pepe, he likes. Um, you know, and a and John Brooks. I don't know what he did, man, but he uh, was the guy. It was his position to lose, and he lost it. Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like he has fallen out of favor. There's no doubt. Uh, then the question becomes. You know, first and foremost, what's best for the team, and and the best thing for the team is to have the best possible partner next to Zimmerman. And I don't know if there's a world in which Brooks can recover that spot. It doesn't seem like it, but you still have to do something that's not personal. You have to do it based on the soccer side and what you think you see. And somehow he's fallen out of favor. I think just you know professionally on the soccer side, he hasn't done the things or the details that. Greg Berhalter has wanted, and so others have stepped in or at least gotten that opportunity. But here we are a week, a month away. We don't really have a solution there. You're right. I think Tim Ream is the easiest cut and paste, but he's not really the profile that they've wanted to go for. Otherwise, they would have given him all these reps. So, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a catch-22 right now for the U.S. national team in that position. Yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing to me because the one thing about Americans is we've, we've always created positions that we've always sort of lacked in. We seem to have those kind of players now moving up. But, um, but yeah, I'm quite surprised. And if you think about it, you know, here we had this big change through quarantine. We talked about this before as well. Like a lot of guys took great advantage of the opportunities and Zimmerman was one of them. He was like the guy who was tangentially like, you know, on the outskirts. Maybe he'll get some time. Maybe he won't. And now he's a, a dominant force and a leader on that team. So, yeah, I mean, you've got Aronson who's doing well. Reyna uh, has come up a bit now and is back. Uh, and then obviously Pulo six scores a goal last week. So that you'd have a lot of people in good spots. Tyler Adams is playing a lot. A lot of the key guys are playing a lot. You're just a little bit worried in the back. Yeah, and I, I could see Zimmerman just making sure he's fit and ready. But you know as well as I do that uh, game fit and game sharp is, uh, is huge. I will say, though, watching the World Cups past, this is a different year, different timing. But a lot of the older players established, I think about a few in the day, uh, they were tired by the time the World Cup came around. And the, the short, you know, the intensity of the games and the short amount of time that you have off, it's kind of really, I think, you know, weighs heavy on the legs. And that's where youth really can help you in the World Cup. And I think if we get out of that first round, man, I, I feel good about getting a win, um, you know, and get to the, to the, yeah. the next round. I think that's one of the more fun things about this World Cup is that the timing of it is is interesting because typically mm -hmm. the best players in the world have played a whole season plus, you know, not only their domestic league, but Champions League and all that stuff. And then now going mm -hmm. into a World Cup, that's usually their vacation time. And now they're playing a World Cup. Well, now we're only about halfway through the fall or almost done with the fall season. And so, you know, they're still in prime form. They have full fitness and they're not necessarily fatigued yet. So we should see the best of the players in terms of legs. Um, and I've got to think that there's got to be a creative solution for the U.S. national team in terms of how they're getting their people who are maybe not getting games in these next few weeks to find ways to train and obviously not just be on their own, but to kind of coordinate that a little bit. I'm sure those efforts are, are in play. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. You just shot my theory down because this year will be different. This cup is different because we are only halfway through their domestic seasons. Uh, internationally, so man, uh, the level of play will probably be sustainable. I guess, I guess the second half of domestic seasons will be uh, where players might get tired, might get injured uh, from just uh, playing so much. Yeah, it'll um, be interesting to see what the heat is like and how much that affects the players. But you know, until they get into that situation, we won't really, really know what it's like to to go into game three, four, five potentially in a World Cup and how that affects the legs. We talked about this before on the show, where there should be or permanent places where the cup is every couple of years and. 
you know, people don't go into the hawk as a country uh, to build an infrastructure overnight, you know, and they, they, the old bait and switch that they did, they get the games and then they switch it to the winter because it's the only logical choice. But that should have been thought about when the committees are planning it. You know, all these, uh, you know, it's just, it's just absurd. It's absurd to me. So MLS, though, um, some good news coming out of MLS, uh, an article in Soccer America um, about crowd count. It's called the MLS attendance tops 10 million for the first time. Now, what, now what do you think about that? Because it's a little bit of, uh, a little deceiving because there's more teams in the league and some of the numbers are down. I mean, overall, I think it's down like 1.3 or 1.5%. But um uh, it could be down because of quarantine, lost some momentum. Uh, other sports are going down at a higher rate as far as attendance and things. But what are your thoughts overall on on uh, them reaching that mark? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, you're right. At, coming out of the pandemic, there is some version of the population that's averse to to being in public spaces like that, and that's just mm-hmm. by default they're not attending. Um, but the numbers have been rather steady. Certain markets, most markets are thriving in a huge way. I think Atlanta did very well, and they were not even really a, a top team in the in the league this year. They led um, the league, actually, in attendance. Right, but yeah, I'm they, saying on the field, they didn't, you know, right, one right. of the top performing teams. Um, mm. And and yet there are issues, right? You, you know, you have NYCFC, who's making the playoffs and defending champions, and they can't even play in Yankee Stadium. They have to go to Shea Stadium, and you have it. so you have that, and then Red Bull didn't have a good turnout to their playoff game in terms of a crowd. So there are some issues, but having said that, the general welfare of the league is so strong. And, you know, I, I shared the story where having gone to uh, visited Kansas city recently and went to in uh, one day, it was kind of fun actually, where you, you go to a day game and you go to see the Kansas city Royals play. And then at night went to see sporting Kansas city and, and look, it's a different crowd. You know, yeah. the baseball game is an older crowd and uh, the soccer venue is a younger crowd. And so it's a generalization, of course, but um, it just talks a little bit about where the fan bases are and the future uh, might be more so uh, on the soccer yeah. side. If, if you're if you're a, a 21, I don't know how many 21 year old sport fans are buying a tick, a season ticket to a baseball team to watch 82 games or I should say 81 games that are three hours long. You know, that, right. that's not quite the commitment that this generation is making. And so soccer, I think, is more palatable that way. Baseball is a game you go to with your grandpa. And it seems like soccer is you're going with your buddies. And this is why it's so important. These soccer-specific stadiums in towns like Seattle and you know, LAFC, you know, have all the, the big walks to the stadium and the whole pageantry of it. It's a lot of fun. It's still a somewhat affordable ticket. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, you say um, you're generalizing, but numbers are numbers the numbers are younger the demographic is younger in mls and that is more appealing to advertisers to marketers and so there there is a lot of strength there there's a lot of positives there and i'm older than you so i remember just you know it was always bad news with soccer when you know when mls was paying espn to be on their platform and to be on their channel you know it's it certainly has changed quite a bit now having said that you know in the comedy world that i'm in um everything's changing uh, you know, people are not moving towards the streamers for, with their shows. They're going to YouTube. They're going to their site where you can download their programs. The, the whole thing is changing. Uh, we don't, you know, again, think about Premier League coming on. You, you know, for me to find a game, I can find them all here in the States, but they are in different places. You can tell that the networks, uh, you know, NBC is trying to figure out how best to get their people to watch the games. They have it on NBC sometimes. They have it on USA Network sometimes. They have them on Peacock. So it, it's like um, 
they seem to be morphing into the streamer area. And that's really odd for sports in America because you turn your TV on and, and there's the game. Right. You don't have to buy all these things. Yeah. Well, it's TV in general. You know, people are dropping, quote unquote, cable and going to streaming only. And so that's just the nature of things. And so this landscape changes, you know, Apple TV coming in and all this kind of stuff. You're getting new platforms to watch the sports from. Uh, And so soccer is certainly one of them. And actually, they're trying to be cutting edge by putting it all on Apple TV. Right. Right. You know, well, that's where everything's moving. So MLS is that's good because they get a bunch of money from Apple. Uh, live events, even when I was at ESPN uh, working there, um, you know, they had all those daytime shows where people were just throwing out their political views and stuff. But how do you avoid that sometimes? Because they, the two do intertwine at times. Um, but, you know, it's going to be on a national a national broadcast, which I think I'd love to get your thoughts on this, because the strength of MLS sometimes has been a Portland where that city watches those games. Uh, they have the big rivalry with Seattle, but that's kind of it. Uh, there are not big national meetups. You know, we have like the Giants, it's play the Dallas Cowboys. It's like it, the country's watching that game usually. Or, you know, Tom Brady with Tampa Bay now. Everybody watches that game. They're always on. Tampa Bay's always on because of Tom Brady. You can see him. What's interesting about uh, MLS was, like I said, it was always provincial, domestic coverage. Provincially, every little town had their two broadcasters that they kind of got to know and they did the local games and that's going away because Apple's going to do national broadcasts. And I think it's, we might be sad to see this go, but I think as far as building the brand and building the game in this country in a nationwide way, this is a good thing. We could regret it, but what do you think? Yeah. I mean, in the last 12 months, I've been to Seattle's home stadium, Portland's Mm -hmm. home stadium, LAFC, and the in-person experience is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where this league is going. And I think that that's something that actually comes out in the broadcast as well. And so that's something that I think, you know, would I would love to, let's say if I'm in L.A. and or someone's in L.A. and they're an LAFC fan, and now you're gearing up to get ready to go to the playoffs and you see Philadelphia Union doing so well on the East Coast, you're like, well, gosh, I haven't seen them play. So the national broadcast allows a fan to go across the line there and catch any team that they may be playing next, quote unquote, and really kind of get a better gauge for that. And so having that right. full availability of the games, I think it's going to enhance the fandom of MLS. Uh, and I think it'll allow for, you know, some, some more, uh, some better conversation in terms of apples to apples and the debates that are a big part of the sports world. It'll be easier for fans to follow the full league. Yeah, and also I'd always said this back in 94 when I was covering the guys on the national team. A lot of people that were watching the games didn't know who the players were. You know, I, of course, knew them all, but I thought when I was sitting with them, they would ask me about Claudia Arena, you know, and who's who's Eric Ronaldo? And, like, I would start to fill them in on stuff. And you realize that when you see a national broadcast, let's say you're, you know, you're a Seattle Seahawks fan. We're talking NFL you would start to get to know the Seahawks, who the good players are, you know, and you sort of build on your overall knowledge, not just of your team, but of all teams. And then when that person gets traded and it's a big trade and, you know, I used to tell people in watching NFL, I get when they were talking about the national team, the U.S. men's national team, soccer team, I'd say, imagine sitting down uh, with the NFL and trying to figure out who's my going to be my starting offense and defense in the world football games. If football was an international sport, which it's not. Um, who do you pick? What quarterback? What running back? What you know? It's like really, 
exciting. When you look at it that way, say there are leagues all around the world where Americans are now playing and they're playing domestically and you don't know most of them uh, if you're a, a casual soccer fan. And you know me, I have always been critical of the announcers. I think it's been a, a very underutilized uh, area where they've just depended upon English uh, speakers, you know, uh, with the English accent to sort of say uh, some sort of authenticity with that, even though it's our game here, it's, it's annoying. And it, they've never gotten any better at it. Even watching Champions League, I get annoyed because I mean, Kate Abdo, it's, it's a great broadcast, but they have what, four Four former international players on there, each from a different country. I, I get that whole diversity thing, but how about an American on there? And then they put Clint Dempsey on there, and he's great. He's fantastic. You know, He gives yeah. an American view. He gives American attitude. He gives American uh, retorts. And, it, uh, and I, I think he's you know, one of the better ones on there You know, because he really says what he feels. He's not playing it safe. And so I just think like I watch something like that. I'm like, we need more of that. So maybe this will happen with Apple. Yeah, I mean, I think that part of being a fan, I know and a lot of Americans are fans of, let's say, the Premier League, and you, you have a team, quote-unquote, let's say you're a Man United fan. I mean, part of be, the fun of being a Man United fan is knowing the players who are on Arsenal and Chelsea and City and Liverpool, right. et cetera. And I think, you know, in, in, and you're right, in MLS, I think the fandom has been very, very central to who your team plays because of right. the broadcasting rights. And now this mm -hmm. should open it up so now – you have a much, much better feel for who else is out there, who your next opponents are, the individuals on each of these teams, and then also getting a feel for each stadium experience. Like if I watch the Sounders right. on television, I get a feel of what's happening in that stadium. And credit to the broadcast team, like they help create that or bridge that. And that allows me to at least, you know, hey, respect, that's a great venue there. And that's a great group of fans. And that just makes the you know, it's richer when it becomes that way. No different than in the NFL. Like if, if Kansas City's playing the Oakland Raiders, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, the fan bases are going to get after each other. And that's a fun part of it. You know, I remember a top executive at, at the NFL said to me, um, he sat the MLS owners down and, and the NFL owners down to show the Seattle fans walking to the game, singing. And, and the owners were like, how do we make money on that? And he's like, well, you don't make money on it. You, it's passionate. It's fun. And you know, so I just thought it was so funny. It's like soccer is always about the passion and all sports are about passion. I get that. But soccer just seems to be different. Make How do you make money on that? It's like, no, man, it's your fate. You're already making a ton of money. All of you guys. It's, it's like it just shows fans having a good time. And, and imagine walking to the game. I guess they can't really walk to the game in the NFL because the stadiums are out in the middle of nowhere. But soccer, with a soccer-specific stadium, is they are in cities, places you can walk to the yeah. games, and yeah, go I to pubs. My, and Exactly. I took my kids to the Sounders and, and uh, did that experience, got to watch the, the fans walk to the game. But you know what? They have community relations people there that are organizing some things, that work for the Sounders. They have branding going on. They have merchandising going on. I mean, there are right. smaller ways to, to market it, but I think the, it's all for the greater benefit of the fan experience, right? And so that's where, you know, and I, and I get the NFL. The NFL is different. You have whatever. You have seven home, uh, eight home games or whatever it is. But in, a, in, yeah. a, in MLS, you have to sell more. And so, you know, that creates a better experience for the fans. And so it makes more sense. I'm surprised more teams don't do it. But you're right. A lot of it is based on the placement of the stadiums and where NFL 
you know, put their footprints, you know, it's, it's out of the way and it does, it's not conducive to walking to. And this is where the new MLS, you know, all the Portland's and the Seattle's of the world have put their stadiums and spots, LAFC as well, where you can get some public transportation and you can get a flow to the game. Even in Yankee, even uh, the Yankees in New York, there was always a sense of take the train to the Bronx and then walk to the stadium and you're stopping off yeah, at a restaurant, fun. you're stopping off at a bar, et cetera, et cetera. It's all part of it. And that's right. where MLS has captured that in a really good way. You know, I'm thinking about all the time I spent in Boston. It's perfect city for a soccer specific stadium we talked about robert Kraft earlier in this broadcast got married on friday i hope i was looking at the attendance for for new england and they are really motivated fans but they keep they're going down and down and down in the pecking order about the amount of attendance that they have and i think um maybe it's a write-off i don't know but they they better get their shit together um you know because they'll lose a good town uh, maybe it'll go to rhode island or something Pawtucket or something they can build a stadium and maybe it's more conducive to that so um I know you were busy this weekend. You had a lot of stuff to do. Um, but I, I tell you, Chris, I was really nervous because, I, you know, I wanted to see that Liverpool-Manchester City game and I'm flying home. And so I'm like trying to figure out, I, I'm trying to record it uh, remotely so I can watch it when I get home. Don't anybody talk to me, you know, that kind of thing. I forgot, man. Get on JetBlue and uh, they have direct TV. So I was able to watch uh, the game in its entirety with very few interruptions and Man, what a matchup. Uh, Liverpool came out to play. I think they're they're kind of they've shaken off the dusties there. They're they're probably 14 points behind Arsenal. I don't think Arsenal is going to keep this pace up, but for some reason Liverpool was not intimidated. They they went toe to toe with them. Um Mohamed Salah just man, scored a beautiful goal. Seemed to have two uh two chances. The first one, I thought he he knocked it wide of the net. But uh, Ederson has just had a fantastic, just just touched the ball, just got a finger on it, hurt himself in the process. Ball went just a little wide. And I was like, well, that's not like solid. I missed that one. And then when you see the replay, you saw that keeper made a just a tremendous save. Allison, right, the Brazilian, he, he basically scoops the ball up and just side volleys it all the way up the field. Mohamed Salah takes it. One touch, you know, beats a defender. He's got three guys chasing him and just slots it. Slots yeah, it. That's amazing how fast yeah. he is with the ball. And I mean, the game is at Anfield, right? And so, bottom line is, it that's that's big. They're they're great at home, um, and so it's a, it's almost good timing for them to get this city game and and to get a result. Oh my goodness! I, I don't know if it puts them in the race necessarily, uh, but it does jumpstart them a little bit. Maybe maybe give them a little bit of of life. I think the bigger story is. City can't afford to drop points, you know, because Arsenal's doing so well. And so now they're further behind. Uh, I do think there's a long way to go. Yes, conventional wisdom is that Arsenal won't be able to maintain it, but so far they have been. And they are young. So the young part, you know, you don't know if they have the maturity and the experience to sustain over the long season, especially with a World Cup break. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you also have the idea that they're young and they can regenerate. You know, and so their their ability to go week in week out is 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 going to be stronger than many teams because of their youth. So that'll be really interesting to watch. I mean, we've had teams before. Uh, you know, it was Leicester not too long ago who had a great start and just never took their hands off of it and was able to keep their consistency and surprise the whole league with a win. So who knows? It could be Arsenal's year in that sense. Yeah, I I just don't see Arsenal keeping it up. I know some of my buddies will be mad at me for saying that, but I I really don't. But I think Man City, I think Man City will catch them. They're they're just pretty pretty amazing, and it should be interesting to watch Liverpool uh, if they can maintain now and sort of 
get back to the form that they had. I think, you know, one of the things that's going to be interesting to watch, you know, we're talking about the World Cup and how the World Cup's going to play out. It should be really interesting to watch how the second half of these domestic seasons uh, shape up as well. It's going to be like a new season. And I think we can maybe take a um, a page out of what we're trying to do with college soccer here in this country, try to break up the seasons. I mean, as a coach, Chris, wouldn't you, wouldn't you love that to work with college players in the fall and in the spring in a competitive environment? Yeah. The more you can test players in games, uh, the better. Um, Cause you need, you can't just play games. And at the same time, you can't just train. Yeah. The, the blend of the two is what is best for player development. And um, you know, our, at the pro level, we're worried about giving the players too many games Right. Uh, at the college level, you know, arguably not enough, uh, at least certainly not spread out over 12 months. And so, you know, that's where we're trying to improve things in the college game for, for that experience. But it'll be interesting to see in this cycle with the World Cup being where it is, where the legs are at the end of the spring for a lot of these teams. Um, you, yeah. You know, the World Cup is always uh, a showcase for maybe not the most famous players, but there's many players where they get to showcase their abilities. Oh, yeah on a bigger stage and, and they'll do that in November and it'll be right before, you know, the January transfer window. So oh, you know, interesting. Yeah. Some more movement than we've seen before, potentially. That's a good point. That's a good point. And um, yeah, but it's, I, you know, look excited to watch this, uh, this world cup and, you know, and the premier league, I think uh, it's just uh, so much fun to watch. They do a good job. They were, they were coming from Philadelphia. They had a fan, the fan zone thing that they had going on there. Um, Again, at least we had Tim Howard there representing the Americans. It was uh, you could just see all those crazy Philly fans. I, I love them. They're great comedy fans and they're great. Uh, they're, they're great sports fans as well. The Eagles are doing well, and and uh, so the whole the whole town is happy. And the Union's doing well. So um, yeah, I mean MLS playoffs should be great this year. I watched uh, the Austin RSL game, and mm-hmm. uh, look, Austin fortunate to advance. You know, they're they're. They're just able to tie it uh, at the end of the game, and that took a extra time, and then penalties went their way. Um, so, you know, RSL does a great job year in, year out of, of getting themselves in and making themselves mm. hard to beat. Uh, they play with a, a good chip on their shoulder, and, and, and their staff embraces that in a good way. It's become the culture of the team, which is interesting. Um, but, the, yeah, a hard out, and, and Austin – we're able to survive it and move on their first playoff win in, in just year two of existence. So that's cool. And then on the galaxy Nashville side, uh, you know, a goal by Araujo, a defender who gets a, a header somehow open on the back post. It's hard to explain because there was a defender there to deal with them and you just didn't deal with them. Mm-hmm. And then they advance and now you have unbelievable in LA. You're going to have galaxy at LAFC in a playoff game, which is, it's a, an amazing stage for for both clubs we got to go dude i want to check that game out man so um and like you said you know this is playoffs americans are used to playoffs and if you look at the premier league there's no playoffs because uh it almost felt like to go back to premier league liverpool man city it was like a playoff game it had that intensity yeah that kind of you know do or die situation and that's you know, people have criticized both sides, the, you know, to, to win the league and then to win through the playoffs and, w- and win the, the cup. Um, two, two different ways you can win here. And I guess, uh, you know, over there they have the, the domestic league and then you can also go Champions League and then the Carabao Cup and whatever the cups, all those cups they have. My God. Um, so uh, I wanted to just talk about this real quick before we leave. Uh, there's an art- another article in Soccer America that I was checking out about body cams for referees which i guess 
if you don't have all the VAR and all the stuff that they have on the professional level um, for these professional teams, because you can't get away with much on the pitch anymore. I mean, I stopped playing in those Sunday leagues because, you know, random headbutts and over the ball, you know, guys coming in high, you know, it was like, I got to go to work. Uh, not really, not me, but you know what I'm saying? You, you don't want to break your knee, uh, break a leg or something. And, um, you know, so many things went unpunished that I think now you look at the league, they have all the, camera angles even if you fake a, a dive you can they'll go back and look at it and, and you also look like a putz in front of the uh, television audience but soccer allows players to run up and circle the referee it it annoys the shit out of me I don't, it's, it's disrespectful you know look if i complained in basketball you turn to him and you complain i mean that's that's enough any more than that you're getting you're getting a technical yeah, so, basketball you know, and football have done a great job of of having close to zero tolerance. It's just not in the culture of the sport to turn to the referee, right. especially in the NFL. Um, so, you know, they, they really don't have that issue. And I understand it's part of the culture globally, certain right. countries more than others. Um, MLS has done generally a decent job of avoiding it. And yeah. when it does show up, they, you know, they'll, they'll hit your club with a fine pretty quickly. Uh, what What is the body cam concept like well, what are we trying to see from that is it more for the fan well experience? it's ian plinderleith um writes about how things happen to referees and um it would be a good way to record it so that people can be pun punished punitively if you look at the tape afterwards and then it would also make players aware of the fact that they're being recorded and they're getting in, in the face of the referee and whatever they're saying is being recorded because look most of the times we can't hear what's being said to a referee i'm sure it's you know uh, uh disrespectful let's put it that way in the best of scenarios so yeah but i think we, but what is the cam why do we need the body cam if, if a referee hears something that he or she doesn't like they can use a yellow card or a red card you, you've heard some of the players will say uh sometimes a player suspended for saying something homophobic and he says i didn't say it and then it's a he said he said thing so this way um it would be basically covering your ass so i you know i know i act differently when i'm on camera <laughs> when i'm off um so maybe it would make people behave a little more. I'm not sure. Um, but it's it, huh. it does annoy me. And just because it's in your culture doesn't mean that it's right. And I think, you know, I've gone at the English pretty hard to say, like, just because you guys didn't invent something or, you know, you invented the game of soccer, but, you know, you didn't perfect it. And everybody plays it differently in their own country. Yeah. Usually under the same set of rules, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about MLS is that they have the MLS Next League. Remember, we we, yeah. we spoke with Ali Curtis, and mm. um, that might be a place where they drop that concept in as a test trial and just yeah. see what, how it plays out, what the benefits are. Because uh, I'm wondering, you know, as much as it might protect referees or help, you know, explain referee choices or police the game, quote unquote, I wonder how it could also be used for the fan experience. Uh, and then oh, right. you, know, you, you have. Yeah, I mean, you know, can you tap into that? And all of a sudden, you know, the way the NFL does that hovering camera, which is a pretty cool view for us from from the yeah. couch. Uh, maybe there's something there that we could tap into. And then, you know, does the role of the referee become bigger? I mean, in Spain, Javi at uh, Barcelona is, is, especially after last week's Champions League stuff, has asked for referees to have their own press conferences after a game to explain some of their decisions. I like that. I so, like that. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Why, why not? Explain, yeah, I, I would hey. like to. I'd like to hear a referee talk after the game, explain his decision, the VAR, what he saw. You know, I mean, there's a lot of money involved here. So, um, so good stuff. So, 
All right, Chris, we got to get going. But uh, what do you got going this week with the uh, the women? How the t- how's the team doing? Yeah, the regular season uh, goes into the beginning part of November. So we're mm-hmm. in that last three, four weeks. Uh, crunch time for lots of teams in the country. We all want to end in a strong way. Uh, and then from there, you know, certain teams get to go on and play in the NCAA tournament. I, I don't know if that's likely for us. It's, it's more unlikely than likely. But uh, we've been happy with how things have gone and want to finish strong. Yeah, you gotta feel good about about that. I mean, you took over a program with zero and twenty one. I think was was what it was, and you got a couple of wins. And uh, Rome wasn't built in a day. So uh, so good, man. Cooper, good stuff. Uh, best of luck uh, in these this last uh, this last stretch. And I feel I'm envious because the weather's beautiful out here, and the fields are beautiful. Yeah. And you and I remember playing back east in November. <laughs> it was not fun at all. Uh, you always have the guys who try to play in sweatpants. It's like no, no, you gotta. You know it's. Snow on the ground, hard, hard pack, you know, oh, that's ridiculous. So, all right, man, I got to get to a game and you and I got to go to an LAFC um, the Galaxy playoff game. When is that? Do you know offhand? That's Thursday. And I, I don't think I can actually because I'm flying back from Gonzaga. But uh, if you can go, you should go. It's going to be amazing. Thursday night, I'm around. So uh, I'm on the road next week. I'll be up in San Francisco at the Throckmorton Theater. If you're there, everybody, uh, with Jackie Flynn doing Brothers from Another Mother comedy tour. So come on out. All right, everybody, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. For Chris Shamides, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247.